Start Battery Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Get up to a $25 gift card after rebate with the purchase of select Superstart batteries. Our professional parts people will test your old battery for free and recommend the right battery for your vehicle. For power, performance, and reliability, choose Superstart batteries only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Whether you're buying a new car, a used car, or refinancing your current car, FedChoice Federal Credit Union could help save you money. FedChoice makes buying a car so easy that you can do everything right from your smartphone or on a computer. Become a member today and you can take advantage of their great rates and financing options. Find out more at FedChoice.org. That's FedChoice.org. Membership open to federal employees including contractors and their families. FedChoice Federal Credit Union insured by NCUA. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the Hill. Thank you for joining us again this morning. Uh, do- oh, I'm going to start. Christina, were you talking to me? Were you talking to me? All right, we're going to restart here. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the Hill. Tom Fitzgerald here with you again, and we thank you for joining us. How to be an anti-racist is the new book by Dr. Ibram Kendi. He is a professor at American University here in Washington, D.C., and uh, we thank you so much for being with us on the Hill. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, So the book is called How to Be an Anti-Racist. Let's start there. What is an anti-racist? Because people might think they know what a racist is, but what is an anti-racist? Well, an anti-racist is someone who is expressing an anti-racist idea or, or supporting an anti-racist policy and an anti-racist idea is basically suggests that there's nothing wrong or right with any of the racial groups, better or worse, superior or inferior. And anti-racist policies are policies that yield, that create racial equity. So when somebody says something like, well, I'm colorblind, I have black friends and white friends, all people are equal in my eyes. That's not being an anti-racist. It's not. And, and I think the reason why it's not is because the, the notion of colorblindness connects very closely with the notion that we should not be identifying by race. And although the end point should be not identifying by race, if we start there, we're not going to be able to identify racial inequities because that's how we identify racial inequities is by categorizing people by race. And if we can't identify racial inequities, we can't identify racist policies. Mm-hmm. And then those policies will live on and we won't even know it. I had a friend uh, who came out to her parents mm-hmm. uh, as gay. And she had said that she had an interesting conversation with somebody one time who had told her when she had shared this news that the person had said, well, I don't, I don't care if you're, you're gay. And that struck her um, badly because she said, what I don't want to hear from somebody um, is that I don't care about something that is central to your core being. Mm -hmm. And that kind of strikes me about this. When somebody says, oh, I don't care if you're black and white, Mm -hmm. um, it does seem to turn a blind eye 
to not caring about the experience of people of color in, in this country. It is does. Is that the heart of what you And, and I think that is how people of color typically receive that that idea if it's if it's told to them to them by a white person another way they re- we receive it is there isn't a recognition of of different cultures of even difference and so colorblind is imagining that you know yeah. that we're all the same and that sameness is well, typically it's, it's, it's you know, let's call it what it is too it's a lie yeah nobody's colorblind precisely and and so to be anti-racist is to recognize difference, but to level difference, which is very difficult. I think we're in a way taught if it's different, it must be better or worse. But anti-racists, of course, recognize that we should recognize difference on the same level. You know, as we sit here right now in late August, um, city of Portland had just had a weekend of violence mm-hmm. over the fact that uh, uh, some of these white supremacist groups right-wing extremist groups had marched uh counter protests were held obviously we we're coming up uh we were just past the anniversary of the charlottesville mm-hmm. uh white supremacist rally which resulted in, in deaths um when you have examples of people who are out there proud of their white supremacy and proud of their racism does it almost give cover to others in their ability to say well I'm not that I I don't march I don't have how could I be racist I'm not racist I'm look there's the real racist mm-hmm. yes and it's always done that um, and so if you imagine for instance that the racist is the white supremacist the racist is the person who who kills people of color um, with assault rifles uh, then of course the almost the vast majority of Americans, right, are, are not in white supremacist organizations and are not out here mass murdering people. But that is not how we should be defining racist. Uh, a racist is, is anyone who is saying that there's something wrong with people of color. So eugenicists said, for instance, that there was something genetically wrong with people of color. But some of the people who opposed eugenicists said there's something culturally or behaviorally wrong with people of color. Uh, Jim Crow segregationists obviously said there was something wrong with, with people of color. I need to keep them at a distance. Mm-hmm. Some of the people who oppose segregationists said we need to bring them in and assimilate them because currently they are not civilized. Both ideas were racist ideas. Now, we live in an age right now where some of these people on the far extremes of this racial supremacy front are involved in in very serious violence. Mm -hmm. We saw it in El Paso. Uh, We saw it in Charleston. Often when we talk about international terrorism, we talk about young men having been radicalized. What is radicalizing this current generation Mm -hmm. of violent white supremacists who are engaged in this kind of activity? So I would, I mean, even though it's very, very difficult for us to do, I I would encourage everyone to read the manifesto that was written by the El Paso shooter. Because I think it, it, it gives us an answer to that. This was somebody who imagined, as he wrote, that his, quote, dream job was was about to be lost. Uh, he imagined, particularly, that the corporate sector 
was oppressing him. He also imagined that the reason why his dream job would be lost was because of Latinx invaders. Mm -hmm. What he didn't realize, because of his racist ideas, is that when you have immigration into a community, whether that community is Texas or Washington, D.C., studies show it actually increases the number of jobs and it increases wages. And, and so he was imagining that he would lose his job because of Latinx immigrants, when in fact more jobs would have become came available. And because of the nature of racism and even sexism in this country, as a white male, he actually would have been at the front of the line. So he actually was walking into that Walmart trying to kill people who actually would have provided him that presumably dream job he was imagining. And so that's what racist ideas, they really take people out of reality. You mentioned the manifesto of that, that shooter. There was also a manifesto in the, in the Pittsburgh Tree of Life mm-hmm. synagogue shooting. That one was also rooted in concerns about migration, but it was migration uh, from uh, Jewish people. There does seem to be a thread whether these people are opposed to Latinos, whether they are opposed to Jews, whether they are opposed to black people, of a grievance. Mm -hmm. And the only way they can alleviate that grievance is striking out at these people. Is it a psychological denial of responsibility for the condition of one's own life that they have to turn around and and point a figure at blame at somebody else? I mean, obviously, it's it's very difficult for all of us, right, yeah. when we sh- when we mess up for us to, to look in the mirror. Oh, you'll lose your keys uh, in your house, and you think exactly. you turn around to somebody <laughs> in your house and go, what uh, did you do with my keys? Exactly, but, but I think in a larger social sense, when we think of problems, when we think of the American racial problem, there's only two explanations. Either there's something wrong with people, or there's something wrong with policies. And if you are constantly being told um, by your ministers, political leaders, media members that the problem is people, the reason why you're struggling is because of people who don't look like you or people who don't worship like you, Mm -hmm. then of course you're gonna internalize that. And then the most extreme and violent people are going to go out and try to to harm these people. In the book, uh, you talk about returning the word racism back to its proper usage. Talk about that. What does that mean? What is the proper usage of the word racist? Because you hear that word thrown around at everything Mm -hmm. now, whether somebody makes an actual racist statement, whether somebody behaves in a way, maybe somebody tells a joke that they shouldn't be telling. Has it stripped the power of, of the word in some way? How do we return it to what it's originally supposed to be? Sure. Can you imagine if criminals define criminality for Americans, how problematic that would be. In in the same vein, racists themselves have has largely been able to define and make meaning of the term racist over the last 50 years. Let me give probably the most obvious example. You know, as we talked about Charlottesville uh, two years ago, that rally, that Unite the Right rally was organized by Richard Spencer, who, of course, coined the alt-right and is one of the leaders of the white nationalist movement. He once said that racist isn't a descriptive term, it's a pejorative term. He once said that, and which is an idea that's believed by liberals, moderates, and conservatives, that this is a racial slur, that it's literally an attack on someone. And white supremacists have been saying this for, for decades. 
that's that, not, that they're being attacked by being called racist. Yeah, but if you if someone calls you a racist, yeah. they're attacking you, they're trying to harm you, they're trying to hurt you. It's a slur, right? It's a pejorative term, but that's actually not true. You know, racist is a term that has a definition. And when we use the definition effectively, we are describing what a person is saying or doing in a moment. So it is a descriptive term. And I think Americans need to realize that when they say that there's something wrong with a racial group or even right, they're being racist. What do, ask you a blunt question. What do white people not get right when they try to talk to people of color about their situation and ex express empathy? Because I find one of the barriers in this conversation is a shutdown amongst many white people now because they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to be perceived in the wrong way. So instead of trying to push that conversation, they shut down, mm -hmm. they withdraw, they don't engage, and they don't move to becoming anti-racist. So I think the first, it's what we've been talking about, right? When, when a person of color or anyone says to a white person you're being racist mm -hmm. obviously the response is to shut down no, to what are you talking about? I'm not to say racist. i'm not yeah. racist yeah. what an anti-racist do what an anti-racist would do when someone says you are being racist what an anti-racist would do would think through okay is that idea racist is that policy that i'm supporting racist because if it is then i am being racist and you know what i'm going to be different i'm going to recognize how that idea is racist and I'm going to stop saying it and I'm gonna change. And humans have the capacity to, be ch to change and, and anti-racists are fundamentally always striving to change and to be different. One of the reasons I was so excited about you coming on, uh, both on the television program and the podcast was because I have seen some work that you've done in talking about this book and explaining it as well too. and. It has been frustrating to watch people in this country. There does seem to be a thirst for how do we get out of this? Yeah. How do we move past or evolve beyond what this country has been mired in in, in, in terms of its um, history? And this seems to be one of the few times I've actually seen some kind of path forward about how people can orient their minds mm -hmm and uh, maybe free themselves of some of the past um, mm -hmm. ideas that they had about themselves and about others. What, what was your thinking when you, and you dedicated your life to this, mm -hmm. but in sitting down to write the book, that's a pretty powerful word, anti-racist. What, what was your North Star when you began? What did you, what did, you did you know you were gonna wind up with this when you started? So actually how the book came about was precisely what you just described. So my last book, which was a history of racist ideas stamped from the beginning, but I also chronicled the history of anti-racist ideas and really showed the clash between racist and anti-racist ideas over the course of history. That There was no such thing as a not racist or race neutral idea. And, and the more I spoke about the need to be anti-racist, the more people who actually were looking for that path forward, who were trying to figure out a way to, to think more clearly and liberate themselves from this, this racial problem, continue to ask me, tell me more about being anti-racist. How do you be yeah. an anti-racist? 
And and so that's really what propelled me to write this book. And, and you know, it's been out a week and just the response has been overwhelming because I do think there's so many Americans who 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 want a very clear and precise way to reflect on themselves, to reflect on the on their society and to get America out of this pit, you know, that we've been in since our founding. We talked about um, these white supremacist groups. We've talked about um, how people who are on the sidelines can get in the game and start uh, actively uh, pushing progress as far as eliminating some of these racist ideas from our society. Let's talk about people of color. Okay. Um, how do people of color factor into this in the way their conversation has been up to this point? Are there things they can do better? So if, if white people generally say, I'm not racist, mm-hmm. people of color generally say, I can't be racist. And well, so I've, I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and so, and I would argue again, there's no such thing as a not racist. So uh, whether, whether you're black or what? Precisely. Yeah. And, and so I think people of color too have to and should be striving to be anti-racist. You know, I, I talk about the heartbeat of, of racism is denial. The heartbeat of anti-racism is confession. And so as, a, as an African-American, this book was largely a confessional, really a confessional of, of particularly the anti-black racist ideas that I had consumed over the course of my lifetime. And I thought it was necessary because we really have to confess really in order to be anti-racist. And as I went through the materials on the book, obviously I've not had an opportunity to read the book cover to cover. Yeah, but just as, I went through, <laughs> as I went through the materials though on the book, I have to tell you, Doctor, as, as a Catholic, it struck me as quite a Catholic mindset and mm-hmm. philosophy, this idea of confession and then moving forward from that moment of confession. Mm-hmm. D- did that factor in at all? It didn't factor in consciously, but I was someone who was raised in the church. Yeah. And, and so obviously I had seen many times, you know, people go up to the altar and and confess their sins first and foremost to be saved right to be saved for their sins to change and 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 to start walking with Christ and 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 in many ways the book begins with my own parents definition of what it means to be a Christian and how that was so critical in in guiding them in guiding their lives and from the same plan point we have to define very clearly what it means to be anti-racist yeah. and, and, and that can define our lives. This conversation has come front and center in the political world the last couple of months because of some internal debates that have been going on in the Democratic Party, uh, bringing to mind former Vice President Joe Biden at one point had talked about how uh, earlier in his Senate career he had to work with uh, other politicians who were segregationists. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that led to... Um, uh, some open wounds amongst the Democratic yeah. candidates, and it it kind of you you touch on this idea of redemption. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess is, is is the right word for it. Is it possible for someone who did engage? And I'm not calling Joe Biden a yeah. racist, but I'm, I'm moving the conversation forward now. Is it possible for somebody who at one point may have harbored or expressed racist ideology? to become an anti-racist. If, are you that the rest of your life if you ever said or did anything? Like so that? we've been taught 
that racist is a fixed category. It's a tattoo, it's a label, it's something, it's in your bones, which is one of the reasons why people deny that they're racist, right? They don't want it to be something attached to them for the rest of their lives. But that's not how we should be defining it. It is a descriptive term and people do have the capacity to change. And so anyone has the capacity, no matter whether they uh, exchange letters with, with segregationists or not to be anti-racist. And, and so, and I think in many ways that frees people, right? Yes, I could have said this and I could have done this in the past, but what matters now and what matters to me in the future is, 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 is being anti-racist. And, and, you know, that's certainly something that I hope every American does, you know, including their, their candidates for president. And when we talk about people freeing themselves, we're, we're in an age right now where people, some people, seem to think that they now have the freedom to express any idea. And as the president uses Twitter mm -hmm. um, almost on a daily, hourly basis sometimes, um, what has changed in the age of Trump about what you see as far as how people in society mm -hmm. now think they can say whatever and however thoughts come into their minds. So uh, the first essay that I wrote this year was comparing the denial of racism to the denial of climate change. Mm -hmm. and, and the way in which so many people are able to deny both. Um, and you know, some people may deny one and not the other is because really there's no such thing, at least for these people, as science anymore. There's no such thing as truth. Every individual is able, according to this, this philosophy, to determine truth and science for themselves. And there's no such thing as experts. <laughs> there's no such thing as journalism. Um, everything is fake that I don't agree with. And, and there's, no re there's no way for us to have a conversation and even build a collective sort of voice if we can't settle on basic definitions, if we can't settle on basic scientific facts. Give us some hope here. You're a professor at American University. Uh, you've been conducting a class, how many years now? Have you been I've been at AU for two years. It's been two years already. Yes. Um, when I first met you, there was a, a hate incident on campus. Mm -hmm. I think it was the very day you started. Yeah, it was the day I sort of shared the vision for the Anti-Racist Research and Policy Center. It was that night. And someone had gone around campus and, and taped, I believe it was a Confederate flag, yes. a piece of cotton on the walls. And it, it was, I was there that day. I could see how painful it, it was to people. Um, I could see how painful it was to you. But I, at the, in the moment, I thought to myself, well, this is why, this is why we need this, mm -hmm. um, to cure ourselves yeah. of this. So in dealing with these students, in going out and talking to people, can we get out of this? I think we can, but I think we should remember, you know, that oftentimes there's pain with healing, right? And so it's, it's not going to be a smooth, process. It's not going to be a process in which there's some pain. But typically, if it's constructive pain, 
right? That means we'll be able to construct a different type of America, an anti-racist America. And I believe we can do it. And, and, and I believe we have to believe that we can build a different type of nation in order to bring it about. The book is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Ibram Kendi. He is a professor at the American University in Washington, and the book is available through uh, the One World Publishing Company. Yes. Uh, we cannot thank you enough for uh, spending time with us to talk about this uh, uh, amazing book, and I'm really looking forward to fully diving into this. Sure, thank you so much right. for having me on. And we thank you as well for joining us here on the On Hill Podcast. I'm Tom Fitzgerald. You've been listening to this week's episode coming to you from the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. We thank you for joining us. We'll see you back here next week on The Hill. Encuentra en The Home Depot nuestros mejores ahorros de temporada en almacenaje seleccionado hecho para ti. Obtén cajas resistentes HDX para proteger tus herramientas o almacenar tu equipo deportivo con su tapa reforzada con cierres y un diseño apilable para conservar tus decoraciones navideñas como series de luces y estos muchachos. Ahorra más con hasta 25% menos en almacenaje seleccionado por Internet en The Home Depot. Haces más, logras más.